Yes, we do. Every single Saturday. On these airwaves, my name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley. This is Citizen Watch. On Mercedes News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Every single Saturday on these airwaves, try to bring you a little original content. Uh, that's for you, Marilyn. Uh, we are doing good this Saturday. Actually, three shows, two in, well, one in the bag. Working on the second. Let me get this thing ready. I like that last song. Oh, I can't see nothing wrong, baby. The Matt Serato party mix. I've been using that a couple of weeks here. He left it here. I'm waiting for him to ask for it back. Not lint on the microphone cover. Uh, COVID-free studio C. Where our words breathe and our thoughts burn. Here on Citizen Watch. Every Saturday, as I say, we're uh, doing three original shows. Last Saturday, we had a repeat of the Delray Shelton interview at 6 a.m. Of course, our 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock show were original content as this one will be. So many things went on this week, as you can imagine. I'll tell you something. I, I, I don't know if I'll get a chance to pull the audio. Probably not, especially since I'm recording right now. And how will I do that? I, I don't have a staff like Luna. You ought to see him in the morning here. Three, four people, interns. I don't know where he gets them. You see Merced. Anyway, the uh, audio of the landing of the rover Perseverance. I don't know if the whole mission's called Perseverance. The little rover, you know, the autonomous vehicle. But what a situ- what a what a sight. What a sight watching all of this go on. You know, there's a little bit of a delay with the communications link. Uh, getting the information back. The telemetry, I think is the official word. But it really goes to show you again, talking about America and American exceptionalism being the greatest country on the face of this planet. Sending something to another planet and watching it land. It was just the pictures that came back. There's one this morning on the National Wire showing the rover suspended from the bottom of the what they call the sky crane. I found that interesting because in construction, you always tease about the sky hook. You know, this imaginary hook that's going to come out of the sky to help you lift or get out of the situation you're in. And I mean, you talk about, you know, they launched this thing, I forget when, back in January. Took all this time to get to Mars. Finally, it it lands, this, the, the cables, it drops it down at the parachute. It was just unbelievable. And the uh, updates from Mission Control, the different stations, the cheers in the room as the accomplishments were met one after the other, after the other. You know, first it had to get into the orbit. And it had to get into the uh, to the descent. The heat shield had to work. Then the heat shield comes off. Then the parachutes come on. The sky crane lowers the vehicle. Then the vehicle has to get out of the way once the cables are, are de- uh, detached. It has to fly away to crash land somewhere. All of this going on millions of miles away from us. It just it just it's just fascinating. It ju- you can't help. But watch that and not get emotional about what we do. Science, technology, 
engineering, and math. Of course, a lot of people would add arts in there, steam, stem, however you want to cut it. So many wonderful things. That was something that I just couldn't, couldn't take my eyes off watching that land. Perseverance on Mars. What a sight. Again, if you get a chance to watch it, the whole uh, video from NASA is about two and a half hours. It's the last 30, 40 minutes. Again, the first pictures they got, they got off of uh, the ground there when Perseverance landed was from an engineering camera on the rover that helps them get over obstacles. The resolution wasn't that hot. That was the day of. Again, today, there's a picture. The resolution's incredible of this thing coming down through the atmosphere, what there is in Mars. Uh, on these cables, the umbilical, again, giving the telemetry. There's a lot of pictures that were uploaded to the rover from the sky crane, the, the vehicle that helped land this thing on the surface that will be shared. They were stored in the uh, memory of the rover. It takes a while to download all this data, you can imagine. But it's just, it's just fantastic. It's fantastical things like this that just really make you uh, just, just in awe of the, of the time we live in. Let's go to the city council town hall. I don't know if I'll get a chance to cover the city council meeting in this segment, but the town hall, the second of two that was held on the 18th Thursday, the first one was held on the 11th, the one that was held on the 18th, three hours long, went pretty well. Went pretty well. Um, you know, I used to think that Kevin Blake was quiet on the dais, on the city council. When he first came on, man, he wouldn't say two words. I think he'd say here and uh, yay when the adjournment, motion for adjournment came. That was it. But uh, I think Sarah Boyle has him beat now. She does not say very much. And in the town hall, I think she only spoke a couple of times. Uh, that was one thing I noticed. Also, uh, most everybody dresses fairly, oh, informal, you know, a sports jacket, uh, a collared shirt, not necessarily, you know, a tie, a Serato, Mayor Serato, I would say, would, is, is the best dress because, uh, you know, the profession he's in, court, uh, litigator, prosecutor, the district attorney's office, in front of judges, juries, that sort of thing, uh, He's usually the best dressed on the dais, but uh, Councilman Ornalis wearing the militant T-shirt. Again, uh, letting everyone know by his actions, or, or should I say inactions, when the Pledge of Allegiance comes. Uh, he doesn't address the flag, doesn't put his hand over his heart, doesn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. He, he does stand, which I, I give him credit for that. I guess that he could kneel to make more of a statement, but maybe in future meetings, I don't know. And of course, Bertha Perez, Councilwoman Bertha Perez, she doesn't uh, say the pledge either, address the flag, put her hand over her heart, but she does stand. So again, I guess you have to take your victories where you can find them. It was a Zoom meeting, a Zoom, 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 a virtual meeting. Again, no in-person contact. Now the council people were there and everybody kept looking to the back of the room and every once in a while, somebody would walk up and get on camera there at the beautiful podium, which they're going to start using now, the built-in one, in future meetings when the public is invited back. And this was a lot better than the city council meeting as far as the Zoom, Zoom, Zoom goes. They need to tell the folks that are on the, you know, the Hollywood squares, all of the squares up there, 
on the uh, on the screen, the city staff, the other people, you know, it's just initials. You never see anybody's picture to mute the microphone, because what happens is you get feedback through the television feed or through the audio feed of what the council members are saying. And then if, if somebody's on this Zoom meeting and they have their mic open, but they're not saying anything, you get all the background noise. And I don't know what is going on. Maybe it's my computer, but one channel you get uh, on one side of the uh, AB side, you get the uh, city staff. On the other side, you get the council members. So it's really annoying at the council meeting. Somebody had the fan on in their house or some sort of blower for the last half of the council meeting. It was almost unlistenable, but we made it through it. Luckily, that didn't happen at the town hall meeting. But what I would like to see, and, and this is true on all meetings, planning commission, I don't care what it is, is have your picture up there, especially when you're speaking. And I think it's really important to show that you're paying attention, to show that you're involved, to show you're listening. When all you see is initials and, you know, the blue, uh, the, the circle, the halo comes on when you take yourself off or you have your hand up. I don't know what all the proper terminology is. Well, I don't know why people can't be on camera. You're not down there. I mean, you save the time to go in. You know, all you got to do is put on a shirt. <laughs> it's usually from the neck up, depending on your camera angle. But I would really uh, encourage these boards and commissions to have everybody on camera the whole time. I think it makes for a much more, you know, you can watch uh, the afternoon shows. You know, what do they got? Ellen and, you know, all of these other shows. Everybody's in the, you know, it's just a bunch of TV screens out there in the audience. What if you just saw a bunch of initials? I, I just don't get that. I don't understand why. We have this zoom, zoom, zoom. Why don't you just make it telephonic, auto, audio only, if you're not going to take advantage of the video. But anyway, it was a three-hour meeting. Started at 5.30. Started, uh, I, I think, fairly quickly. If you go online, you have to go through about five or six minutes of dead air and until you get it. till they started again, the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, hey, five out of seven. <laughs> five out of seven council members. We'll take that. Uh, Matt Serrato talked about uh, the first thing that came up in front of the council uh, was kind of a broad subject, housing, affordable housing, and, and that's a nebulous term, my friends. And so inclusionary zoning uh, is something that's been bantied about with the past council. It's a, it's a real good buzzword, basically puts affordable housing on the backs of development as opposed to the city, uh, government organizations, you have to realize that after RDA went away, the redevelopment funds that we used to get back from the state, that we could uh, invest in these public good, uh, uh, you know, do things for folks that didn't have the resources, i.e. housing. But those monies have been taken away for several years, and it really limits what we can do. So the idea is this inclusionary zoning would be incorporated here in Merced. And I get the feeling that they're leaning towards this when I say they, the city council, at least giving it a hard look. And I don't know if uh, you're going to have enough to overcome this, but basically you say that no matter where houses are built, uh, you, there will be a, a affordable housing element. And again, affordable housing is a relative term. There was a lot of talk at the meeting about what the price points were you know, what's an average house in Merced now, you know, 150 or 250 to 300. What would be, quote, unquote, an affordable home, 80, 90, 100,000, 150,000? Well, it's all relative, depending on your income. And you see a lot, there was a lot of talk on the council about 
folks coming from out of town, moving in here from out of town and buying homes. Well, no kidding. <laughs> it's cheaper here than it is in other places. It's called supply and demand. And some of these things I think the council is going to have to realize is just out of their purview. It's out of their, their wheelhouse. It's something that while they want to influence and they want to uh, have a hand in it, there's really not a lot you can do other than to provide a, uh, an environment where economic development can thrive and where the jobs that are being brought to this community can support a new house. Uh, Bertha Perez made the comment about development that's potentially going to go on around the university that the folks that clean the university, the uh, support staff and such, on uh, maybe what some would consider the lower end of the pay scale, uh, should be able to live in the same community that the university uh, teachers, members, faculty uh, live in. And again, this is uh, based on inventory, the type of houses, the broad range of houses. You know, you hear about the starter home, and we have some gated communities that are going to be built uh, specifically north of the high school. Hostetler development, a gated community that, when uh, proposed, was touted to appeal to some of the higher wage earners from the university. So you need to have a good mix. But to have inclusionary zoning to mandate that, I think, is a slippery slope. And I hope that the council doesn't go down that road. There are so many programs here in California for affordable housing to try to give incentives to developers for affordable housing. One of the big impediments, and people may not realize it, is that most affordable housing, especially when you start using grant money and stuff like that, has to uh, be done at prevailing wage. These are very, very, very high wages. Now, you have some council members that don't care. They, they'd love everything to be prevailing wage. But it really hurts small communities like ourselves that try to do public projects. When you're looking at four, five $500,000 a door, maybe $750,000 a door for affordable housing, as I've said before, folks, that's not affordable. You know, what What? What couple goes out starting that, that first home, seven fifty. I mean, unless you hit the lotto or you're uh, you know, one of these tech guys, I, I don't see that happening for the majority of people. So inclusionary zoning, is that the way to go? I don't know. A lot of talk about it. Hey, we're out of time for segment 8 o'clock hour. We'll be back. My name's Casey Steed. Citizen Watch. you want you got what i want it's a mutual relationship every saturday on these airwaves citizen watch my name's casey steed the voice of your valley word on merced's news talk 107.3 fm 1480 a.m kyos early early saturday it was wet earlier oh it's gonna be a beautiful weekend the sun is out i think the blossoms well they've already come out on some of some of my trees the almond blossoms i think are out the buds have budded the bees are buzzing it's spring almost i don't think officially yet though well, here we are second segment of citizen watch 
the 8 o'clock hour. We will have the bonus half hour later on at 9 o'clock. I understand that Atwater is coming back into the mix. That's right. The city of Atwater used to have a show here on KYOS at the 9 o'clock hour. I understand that may be coming back. Looking forward to that. Everything Atwater. As you know, they're having a city council meeting in Atwater Monday night. Their meetings are on the 2nd and 4th Mondays of the month. The 22nd being the 4th Monday of the month. Now, sometimes Atwater doesn't have a a second council meeting. Usually that's in November and December, where they just have one. But uh, who knows? Maybe those will be coming back. I know their budget news was really great. Uh, Atwater Mayor Paul Creighton was on the Community Conversation Show last week with Roger Wood. So again, Atwater coming back into the... I don't know when it's going to start. It's going to be in uh, this month or next month. But we will bring you that programming information. We were talking about the Merced City Town Hall. Two of two. It was the second of two. They used to have three of these things. North, Central, South. Two-hour meetings. They would sometimes go long. Sometimes they wouldn't even go two hours. Seems like by the third one, everybody was on board. So this was the second. Again, two three-hour meetings is the same as three two-hour meetings. So they tell me. I have not verified that, but I will take their mathematic formulas as being true. This meeting was three hours. It was last Thursday. We were talking about inclusionary zoning. I was looking at my notes during the break. The opposite of inclusionary is exclusionary. And that's what they don't want to be. And that's kind of the PC equitable term. You know, you got to be equitable. And it seems to be over the years that a lot of affordable housing has been located. And it seems to other people has been located in the, well, uh, economically disadvantaged side of town. The poor side of town. I think it was even mentioned during the town hall. And the reason for that is the formula is used by the federal government to address poverty. Well, they look at the areas that have the most of it, and that's where they want to put their money. Like we talked about, the cost is prohibitive. It all has to be prevailing wage. $40, $50, $60 an hour. That's without the burden, my friends. And who wouldn't want to get that? You want to swing a hammer over in some market project, you know, getting piecework, how many two-by-fours you can mash together during a day, or do you want to lounge over at some prevailing wage union signatory job where, hey, we'll get it done someday. And I don't mean to be so flippant, but when you look at the cost per door, and that's how they, you know, that's how the that's how the money people do this, folks. Come on, you got to get with the lingo. You know, it's a cost per square foot, cost per door. What's my exposure? Let's you know have a couple of drinks. What does it pencil on a napkin? So when you look at the cost per door in these projects, you build twenty units, and it's oh, let's say four hundred thousand dollars a door. That's eight million dollars. That's a lot of money for twenty units, isn't it? Where you can go buy or go build twenty houses, sell them for three hundred fifty thousand dollars. You see, you see what I mean? It's 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 a it's a totally different thing when you get into market driven. How how much inventory you can provide, the number of units, the number of bedrooms is really what it gets down to. Where people are going to sleep, where they're going to lay their head at night, and how dense we make that. So in for uh, inclusionary housing. You don't want to be exclusionary of affordable housing, and that's what it's all about. And again, there's a lot of programs at the state, hundreds, many, many laws, dozens, 
that have been passed, hundreds of programs to try to incentivize private developers to build affordable housing. SB 35 is the big one that's come up on the horizon lately. A lot of offshoots of that legislation to incentivize developers to build affordable housing. And the incentive, because if you're not going to get it on the rent, if you're not going to get it at the market rate, if you can't rent that apartment out for two, $3,000 a month, and the government says, well, you've got to rent it out at uh, you know $800 a month, where are you going to make your money? Well, the incentive is to build more market rate housing, maybe include an affordable element that you normally wouldn't have. So say in a normal zoning situation, you're allowed 100 units in a development under a normal situation. Maybe they'll give you 120 units if you put 20 units of affordable housing in. And you can still make some money on it. But, uh, you know, maybe they'll give you instead of 100 units of affordable housing or market rate housing, they'll let you build 100 and, you know, whatever. All I'm saying is there's incentives out there without having to go down the inclusionary zoning path. So it really, uh, McCag, Merced County Association of Governments, is the one that submits the reports to the feds on our efforts and how successful we are in those efforts. And on paper, we look in great shape because we have land on which to build affordable housing. Well, no kidding. But it's getting it built. That's the key, the production. How do you get the production to start? And the city doesn't do this. The city doesn't invest. It doesn't build homes. You know, we've seen this on the federal government, some of the developments that have been done under the affordable housing banner. And they've been failures, absolute failures, public housing in some cases, has led to blight, uh, led to uh, folks leaving areas, not wanting to be around, quote-unquote, affordable housing developments. And that was some of the conversation that was uh, bantied about Thursday at the town hall meeting about forcing affordable housing into areas of town that you normally don't see or wouldn't think of affordable housing. But in reality... There are affordable housing developments in a lot of areas of Merced, including the north side. But it's still something that can't be lost sight of, the equity factor. And this comes into play, especially when talking about the annexation of the University of California, which is proceeding, by the way, folks. This was something that was surprising to me how quickly this has moved and how little discussion has really taken place among the council members. It seems city staff knows exactly where they want to go. I know that there was some personnel procured uh, with help from Merced County of Office of Education footing the bill to move forward with this annexation project process. And I think some of the comments made by Mayor Serrato at the council meeting, not at the town hall meeting, but at the council meeting, were very eye-opening about bringing in the surrounding properties after the university or if the university comes into the city. But the process has started with the university. People should be aware of that. That's a huge, huge, huge deal. And so, again, Bertha Perez, Councilwoman Perez, made the comment during the meeting that folks should be able to live in the same area as the university if they work out there, especially in some of the lower-paid positions, what would be considered lower-paid positions. But it gets down to market forces, supply and demand. And the city is not in the business of building housing. There was a lot of talk about using city-owned land, maybe some land out by the airport. Again, these lands are not zoned 
for residential use. I thought one of the interesting uh, thoughts was trailer parks. One of the councilmen brought up brought up uh, providing land or zoning land so that people could move trailers or tiny homes on them. Some of these developments, and they're seriously being looked at. Accessory dwelling units, something I learned, and again, you learn something new every day, just when you think you know something. I've been a big fan of accessory dwelling units. Scott McBride with the Development Services Department indicated that you can actually build not two, but three homes on your property, three separate dwelling units. I thought it was just one, but evidently you can have an attached, quote unquote, separate, say like a garage conversion, probably people familiar with those where you take the garage, convert it into a living unit separate from the house, or if it shares a, uh, you know, maybe shares a bathroom. And then you can have a separate course in the, you know, your, your first house, you know, the house that's already there. And then the third would be a separate detached dwelling, a tiny home, an accessory dwelling unit. I think they're limited by the number of square footage. And then, of course, the question comes is the infrastructure, uh, is it enough in the existing areas, water, sewer, specifically sewer, electricity, those type of things usually aren't a problem, but gives owners a lot of uh, owners of existing property, especially in the older existing areas of town where you think, hey, I'm built out. I can't do any more. I can't maximize my return on investment. No, you can't. And it's good to hear that the city is going to be coming back to the council for some of these new zoning requests, some of these uh, affordable housing options that people can do. And really, if you think about it, I've talked about it before, getting four or five uh, boilerplate plans, uh, you know, all the same, similar uh, construction standards so people know what they're getting into. They know what the costs are, the permit costs, the construction costs. And this would give folks an opportunity to monetize their investment. You know, maybe they want to build an ADU, move into it, it being a newer construction, rent the house out, bring in some passive income, a lot of opportunity. And I could see literally a business or construction companies, design engineering firms, realtors, uh, getting involved in this on all sorts of levels. And it would increase our inventory because that's what it's all about. Number of doors. We need to talk the lingo of the developers. How many doors do we have? How many vacancies? And so we have to have more inventory. Uh, talked about the home buyer assistant program. There is no home buyer assistance program that the city is running yet. They have applied for a grant. Uh, there's a lot of grants out there. It's getting them. That's the problem. And a lot of competition for grants. They should know by this spring. Of course, that brought up some more uh, conversation about ADU, infill, infill development. And then, of course, the infrastructure needs for that so that it can be implemented. Uh, one of the more controversial things they brought up, and again, it's really you know the landlord's fault on this, maybe the real estate industry to a point, is rental registration. I, I can tell you, reading the tea leaves, this is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Uh, this is going to be an enforcement uh, arm of the city that's going to basically come in to landlords that have multiple units. I don't know what the limit, what the threshold is going to be. You know, if you've got one property or rental income, I don't know if you're going to be included. It's my understanding it's for those folks that have the multiple unit apartment complex, have more than uh, two or three homes they're renting, single-family residents, maybe a mixture. Maybe you have some multifamily, single-family, I don't know. But they're talking about a rental registration, as it was said, a small fee. Again, uh, its definition, my friends, what's small to you may be large to somebody else. Uh, 
And then your property would be put on a list. It would be inspected on an annual basis. And the re- uh, renters would have a vehicle or some sort of enforcement method to bring the hammer of government down upon the landlords, upon the homeowner, or not the homeowner, the uh, rental owner, to get compliance for whatever slight the tenant feels they have. And, and I guess the the city, because they would go in and inspect these units and hopefully be preemptive, uh, see issues, and uh, would take take care of them before the tenant was affected. But again, another, you know, more regulation. Is it going to increase the cost of rents? I would imagine so. Usually these costs are passed along to the tenant. So it'll be interesting to see how the rental registration goes on. As you know, we've had several complexes over the years that have been condemned where they've had to go in, you know, move everybody out, displace 10, 15 residents. There was a unit over there, an apartment complex over on Highway 59 between Olive and the 16th Street on-ramp there, off-ramp. And a very, very dilapidated, really gotten into a bad situation. And these things just don't look good when the city has to go in and red tag things. Of course, code enforcement's got a lot better here in town. We have vehicles by which to take care of these things. But uh, I think the council is leaning to another layer of bureaucracy with the rental registration. Well, we're out of time for this segment of Citizen Watch. We'll be back. Hang in there. Citizen Watch, third and final segment of the 8 o'clock hour. Yeah. Mm, got that bass. I don't know about the Denzel face, but uh, we'll take the bass part. My name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley, on Citizen Watch every Saturday. Every Saturday morning on Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. By the way, if you miss a show. Say you miss a segment. You get out of the car. Man, I wonder what he said. It was so interesting. Riveting. Maybe not that riveting, but, uh, you know, you had something else to do. The the gas pump clicked off. You had to get out of Costco. You know the people behind you. They're looking at you. Come on, come on, come on. You can go on 1480kyos.com and the podcast banner. What do we call that? What do I like to say? On demand. I demand that you come on. You just click. On any one of your favorite shows, there's a brief description. And let me tell you, there's probably a lot more said in there than the description. By the time I get to the description, I forgot what I've said. No, I, uh, you know, we cover so many topics, we move around. But if you're just driving, you know, across the desert (laughs) and there's nothing on, hey, pull us up. Listen, we have over 100. What are we going to have after today? 174 shows. I can't even add how many hours that is. It's a lot of time. Anyway, if you miss anything, also Roger. Roger Wood. Celebrating the 44th wedding anniversary with his lovely bride. At an undisclosed location on the California coast. You can catch all of his shows on demand too. We finally acquiesced. Man, he he was really, uh, you know, <laughs> very vocal. You know what they say about squeaky wheels. 
Yeah, he saw mine go up and all of the hits, thousands. <laughs> and he wanted to be up there too. So we did that. Uh, very, very technical how all this happens. Still amazes me. Well, here we are. We were talking about the town hall meeting, Merced City Town Hall. There will not be a state of the city address. Uh, this was a question asked, I believe, by a participant of the last town hall. They finally got to it. And Mayor Serrato said, no, we couldn't even think about putting thousands of people, or however many fit, into the Merced Theater. Home Depot, Lowe's, Target, Walmart, Save Mart, totally different story. But, uh, you know, when the city's involved, you don't want to have the liability. Plus, I guess it was very expensive. Mayor Serrato said the production uh, would cost five, ten thousand $10,000. They would try to get... You know, sponsors, people to help out. Kind of like painting the utility boxes. What's that going to cost us? $2,500 a pop? $12,000, $15,000? What have what we have, what we have scheduled? <laughs> scheduled for that. So we're going to uh, take the, uh, the State of the City, the beautiful production that we usually see on the State of the City, and we're not going to spend it this year. So no, uh, no State of the City. What did the mayor say? Hey, we're all new. And uh, what's the, what's the state? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe nothing. I don't know. Is the is the city in a state? I guess we won't know this year. So be lucky you had the town halls. Let's continue. We were talking about. Oh, go through the notes. Rental registration. Rental registration, my friends. I don't know. It sounds a little onerous. Another layer of government. You know, you already got the fire department sniffing around. Uh, now we're going to have somebody from the city. We've got code enforcement. Doesn't that work? I don't know. Okay, RDA. No RDA money for housing for years. Well, we talked about that. That was uh, courtesy of Governor Brown. I believe he took the RDA money away. We used to do a lot of a lot of good things with redevelopment money. Uh, the way Stephanie Dietz, our new city manager, indicated you have to legislatively go after these things make it part of our legislative platform. Us being a somewhat conservative city, a conservative platform doesn't really play with the big boys up there in Sacramento, but we would like some of our money back, whether it be gas tax money, transportation money. You know, the money we send north uh, never comes back south. So, you you know, she's right. She's absolutely right. We have to vote people in that are going to give us our fair share back, kind of like vaccine. You know, the uh, what was it, the stimulus money? We found out that Governor Newsom was giving us, uh, what, 102 bucks. Everybody else was getting 190 or proportionately different per uh, person, depending on what area you lived in. I, I don't get that. Talk about equity. Seems like it'd be should, real simple. So uh, Stephanie brings up a good point. You know, should uh, should we uh, should we have a, a maybe a stronger legislative platform? Maybe write some more letters. I don't know. But you got to get all the council on board because, again, it is a kind of a combined effort there. One of the other deals, uh, or one of the, could, you know, really how you could, uh, how do you say, condense this, is do we, as a city, as taxpayers, do we subsidize construction or do we subsidize the purchaser or the recipient of the housing? Now, typically, we've done the purchaser through Section 8 vouchers, uh, building affordable housing, just outright building a home and saying, hey, here you go. Look what we're doing with the Navigation Center for the Homeless. What Bruce is doing with his respite center. Again, privately funded. I guarantee you the cost per door on Bruce's project will be about half 
of what a federally or state or government-funded quote-unquote affordable housing unit would cost. I would bet half. Bruce may correct me and say it's even more of a savings than that. But we have these projects that we have built, Childs and B, uh, the Navigation Center, some of these other projects, 19 in town. So it's not like we haven't subsidized construction at a very pretty penny. Or have we subsidized the purchaser? Well, we have. Uh, people, you know, Section 8, there's a lot of Section 8 housing here in town that we pay the rent for people every single month. So how do we get that into the private sector? Big, big uh, talks on that. Again, mobile home parks, that was one of the things that came up. Again, providing options that are affordable. That used to be one of the starter homes. I remember years ago, the Starlight mobile home park out there by the old Starlight Drive-In. For those of you old enough to remember that, uh, a lot of people got their first home out there. You know, had that space, you know, the space rental. It's kind of interesting how mobile home parks work. You own the, the uh, mobile home and then you rent the space. Again, it's all about the cost. So uh, let's see, what else are we going to talk about? Did I tell you the state of the city address cost $10,000? I don't know. You know, this was Mayor Murphy's idea. I liked it. Uh, I called it the victory lap, but it was kind of fun. I'm going to miss it. Uh, somebody asked, these are questions that just kind of came in during the meeting. Crosswalk at Manzanita and Childs. Uh, there's no sidewalks over there in that area, as you know, along Childs Avenue. Uh, that's Councilman Ornalis's area. There's an MID ditch over there that runs on the south side of Childs that the kids walk along the bank. Very, very dangerous, the children. Very, very dangerous. Getting down there to Weaver, all the folks in the Golden Valley neighborhood, the anti-Walmart neighborhood, they all walk. I shouldn't say they're anti-Walmart. Some of the leaders at Walmart distribution centers, just some of the leaders over there. Actually, one guy that ran for council. Anyway, uh, they, they walk over here uh, to Golden Valley, Weaver, and that's always been a big issue. The sidewalk project, about $4.5 million. Nobody seems to have the money for that. It's almost too big of a project for grants. I don't know, maybe break it up into bite-sized bite chunks. You know, it's how do you eat an elephant? That old joke, how do you eat an elephant? Well, one bite at a time. You'll eventually make it through it. So the crosswalk uh, idea to get people from the ditch over to the high school mid-block, while it sounds good, I really have to, again, give credit to the leadership of Stephanie Dietz, our city manager, our new city manager, saying that mid-block crosswalks give you a false sense of security, and they are actually more detrimental, especially in a school zone situation. You need to have the crossing guards out there also, the school safety patrol, whatever they call it, you know, the big red stop sign, you know, the, 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 the parent that takes the time to make sure the kitties, all the little baby ducks get across the the uh, pedestrian crossing, that's what you need. In addition, if you do these mid-walk, uh, mid-block crosswalks. So that was very enlightening. They really need the school district to help that, getting these kids across uh, to the other side, literally. But the big deal is getting a cooperation with MID, partnership. They use that word several times throughout the town hall, and I kept thinking about neighbors an analogy to neighbors, you know, if you have a neighbor and, you know, the fence falls, you need a new fence, you go in at 50-50, you know, tree falls, tree needs trimming, you got to get along. 
and these different entities, whether it be MID, PG&E, the city, the county, there was a lot of talk about, well, you know, that's the county. Well, that's the city. Of course, it was the city talking, but, you know, about other partners. Well, they're neighbors, and if you can't get along with your neighbor, and if these folks can't get along with each other, then we need to be doing something different because everybody's got a lawyer. County's got lawyers. City's got lawyers. Everybody's got lawyers. And I don't know why we're not working together on some of these problems, especially when you look at the liability. Those school children walking down to Weaver along that canal and, again, the traffic along there. There was talk about putting a sidewalk on the north side of Childs. Well, that's, realize that's the county. You can't have a sidewalk within so many feet of a front door. Again, when you look at what's available for right-of-ways, eminent domain, that sort of thing, it's just not possible. So we need to pipeline that irrigation canal as has been done in front of the apartment complex, some of the homes there by Childs and Parsons. As you go eastbound along Childs, uh, some of the canal has been pipelined. The rest of it needs to be pipelined all the way to or past Weaver so that that makes that sense. There's a lot of talk about that. Uh, but again, kind of interesting how mid-block crosswalks give you a false sense of security. They talked about, uh, a question came in about the homeless camp over there behind Dutch Brothers. Not to be outdone by Merced Inns and Suites, the blight that's going on over there. Uh, there's a homeless camp that's on three private lots. They've had trouble, uh, one of the owners of the lots. Again, these problems are brought by others, and then it becomes the responsibility of the private property owner. One of the owners is having, having trouble removing all of the debris that has been brought in by these people. And let me tell you, it's amazing what these folks can bring in in just a short amount of time. And uh, they're, they're trying to get some help. Chief Cavallaro came on the line, said that they're getting compliance. They've been working on this problem for a number of months. And in reality, I guess it's uh, gone along pretty quickly compared to some of the other abatement efforts we see. Then the discussion got into... Uh, you know, Caltrans, what they're doing along their right-of-ways, because the homeless cleanup of, of District 2 kind of morphed into a Caltrans cleanup. I mentioned that on the show last week, how we went over to G and 13th Street, the on-ramp there. That was eye-opening, my friends. What's even more eye-opening is it's back to the same... <laughs> it's, it's back to the same situation. Mayor Serrato said, you know, you could almost put a trash service at these homeless camps and have it picked up a couple of times a week. No kidding. And it would almost be uh, worth it if it didn't encourage the homeless camps. And we've had talks about that with restroom facilities, putting porta-potties in some of these areas because, uh, you know, if the trash is there, well, uh, there's all, all kinds of things going on there when we talk about hazardous and human waste. It just amazes me how there's almost this double standard. You go along the freeway, if there's a work crew, they have the men working, the signs, the the cone, you know, the cone zone, all of this stuff, the yellow jackets, the the orange jackets, the vest, the reflective, the signboards, the watch out, move over, merge. And yet we allow homeless to literally camp within three or four feet of vehicles going 70, 80 miles an hour. No signs, no, hey, watch out. Pedestrians camping in the bushes. It's just, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. I saw this down in Southern California along Interstate 5 where you had the uh, people trying to find a better life using the I-5 corridor, walking up through the checkpoint at San Onofre, up by Camp Pendleton. 
and getting hit on the freeway. And there was a lot of concerns. That's where you saw the signs where the mother is, uh, you know, being drug along by the father and the mother has a hold of the kid. and The doll is, uh, you know, flying away because they're trying to go north. It's, it's just a, amazing how far we've come and what we accept as behavior now, especially along some of the right-of-ways. And I also talk about the railroads. So very, very frustrating. I don't know if we need to add layers of bureaucracy necessarily, more inspections and that sort of thing, or just enforcing the laws we have. But we're out of town. We'll talk more about the uh, about the uh, town hall meeting at the city of Merced. Hey, thanks for listening. My name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley on Merced's News Talk. Citizen Watch, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. See you next week. That he's always choosing. With him, I'm never losing. And he knows that my name is not Susan. He always has heavy conversation for the mind. Which means a lot to me, because good men are hard to find.